You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Man, I am so excited to have Andrew on the show. I've known Andrew now for a little bit. We've uh, we've definitely bonded recently over uh, several emergency management tasks that we've um, we've had to address. And um, I, I'm really excited to announce on our show that, Andrew, you just got a new job in Sioux City, Iowa, technically for the county. It's really exciting news. Um, and I think you're kind of the perfect guy for that because you have a ton of experience building local programs. And so we want to talk about that today. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Good, because you have a lot to offer our field and you, you come from not just like kind of a, the responder background, I believe you're a paramedic in a previous life, but now as an emergency manager and that kind of that cross training, which is what we've been really focusing on a lot this year in our podcast, as we've had firefighters and USAR and paramedics and um, uh, former SWAT on the show. So it's great to have you and your uh, perspective. So let's just like kick it off right now as an emergency manager who just got a new job. And as emergency managers who are possibly looking either to get in the field, either they're in college or they're, you know, switching jobs themselves. What are the first like things that you're going to want to look at from a general perspective of like, hey, I'm, I'm getting into this program. I need to make sure I do like X, Y and Z so that I can start off with high competency. Um, one of the things I would probably say is you got to know your worth as a person. I feel like sometimes that when we see new emergency managers come in, they, they, they're scared to say, speak up and say, Hey, I think we should try this because sometimes, you know, in emergency management, it's all about what the idea is to make sure that we help everybody out. Right. So know your worth is probably one of the biggest things. And then another thing would be that you go in confident, right? So you just got to go in confident and try to get some pre-training before you even attempt to go to an emergency management agency, right? So if it's at least going to get CPR, at least you know how to do CPR. At least you can say, hey, I volunteered with the Red Cross or I volunteered with whatever um, VOAD organization there is. Because sometimes it's really hard. You see 
people posted on Facebook all the time, hey, I'm trying to get this emergency management job, but they have zero experience in the field. And, and when I say the field, I mean all of emergency services. So they have zero experience. And of course, it's really hard coming right out of school, getting that experience. Yeah, I like the idea of, um, oh my goodness. I'm sorry, we're going to edit that out. Hold on one second. Holly, you just interrupted my podcast. Can you say hi? Say hi, you're hey. on the podcast now. What's up? This is this is Andrew. Andrew, you need to be... This is Holly, by the way, for all the people listening to the show. Hilarious. Uh, Holly runs Speak and Spark. She's a good friend of Doberman. Uh, okay. Move, move it off your face. There you go. Say hi to 20,000 emergency managers. And Andrew... Andrew uh, should be one of your speakers on Speak and Spark, by the way. So I'll connect you guys. But yeah. we will talk later. How about that? <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right. Should have put that on airplane mode. Sorry for everybody. I don't think we're going to edit that out because that was awesome because we like Holly. Um, sorry. Here we go. So, uh, going back to, to that perspective of like, uh, even like basic training. That's actually what I did. I was in college. I went to the Red Cross. I was actually an intern with the Red Cross, but I went to like all like the local, like community level training. So whether it's CPR, first aid, shel- sheltering planning, um, all that kind of stuff really helped me understand who the field w- was, like the, the volunteer perspective and just like meeting people with more experience and be able to network. I think that provides a lot of um, perspective when you when you move into a field where largely you're dealing with local uh, populations, volunteers, and uh, dealing with different stakeholders. So great call out there. And, and also knowing your worth. Um, you know, I went full back into the podcast mode, by the way. That was pretty smooth. Um, it was. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so like understanding your worth is a big deal in emergency management because a lot of people don't know what emergency management truly is. And to like, say like, no, like, I don't, I'm not going to apologize. Like usually we're the smartest guy in the room, but do, do we know that? And do they know that? Yeah. The reason why we're the smartest guy in the room is not because we are inherently more intelligent, which by the way, I am just kidding. Not kidding. Uh, thank you. You got to laugh at that. Um, but like really what it is, is like for, for what I do, nobody else does. And that makes me, the smartest guy in the room for this. Now, am I, am I the smartest guy for understanding engineering of a, my local plant? No, that's why I refer to them. So I think that's really great. Uh, in terms of some of the products and the processes that you might want to review, what are you going to be looking at of terms of like, okay, like how good is their program? Um, so it all depends on how in depth their program gets, right? So sometimes you get programs where, they have a cookie cutter model all over the state. And then sometimes you have programs where it's like, hey, we have enough time, money and staff and employees to make sure that this fit tailor fits everything that we could possibly think that's going to happen. So I think that's one of the main important parts is, is if you want to be awesome, an awesome emergency manager, you got to get somewhere where they are truly invested in emergency management and what it truly means and what it believes. Yeah, I, I think that's... Um... Uh, again, a good call out there. Um, immediately off my head, I'm like thinking like EOP, HNP, FIRA, HVA. I'm using acronyms, everyone's going to be like, hey, can you tell me what those acronyms are? I always get that. Um, yeah, maybe in the show notes. 
Um, but like seriously, like going through that process, um, man, when you said cookie cutter, like my eye like starts like to twitch a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts on the difference between cookie cutter and standardization? Because both kind of have a place, but there's pros and cons to both. Uh, so my thoughts on cookie cutter is, as you know, for example, um, the agency I'm at now, we have a cookie cutter program that's been in place for who knows how long. Their true emergency management agency just started in 2019. So I got here and tried to develop an emergency management agency for them and try to get away from that cookie cutter agency local operation plan altogether. And of course, that's how you and I got connected was is we're, we're trying to make sure that we're out of the cookie cutter. So back to what I was saying is you have the cookie cutter program that maybe the state pushed down for you and they want you to model what their program is, but they also don't want you just to copy and paste everything that's in that program. So that's, they're saying, hey, this is how we want it to look, but you need to tailor it to your specific needs. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly uh, what my thought process was the difference. Um, if a standardization is great, if they say, hey, here's the general model. This is how we build common language. You need to figure out you need to do analysis. You need to figure out like what who your specific stakeholders are, what the impacts of your local community are. Those those are all good cookie cutter. I once saw a plan for uh a state i'm trying to keep this generic and half the plan was definitions mm -hmm. i was the emergency manager responding to a a large crisis and i get their their uh eop and i'm like why do they have a why do they have a definition for a volcano in here they don't have a volcano for 2000 miles it's not even it, it, it will not impact their disaster operations on a on a, a normal disaster right so um i think I think when we talk about these two things and maybe we'll talk about that, like maybe there'll be a trend of this conversation for the sake of our audience. What we're going to be talking about is how do you build, uh, how do you build standardized programs or looking at best practice without cookie cutter cookie cutter again is lack of thought, lack of thought versus uh, requiring you to think in common language. Um, you're going to Sioux city. You're going to another state, another process, another whatever, um, you're going to have to develop, uh, the programs there. Um, you just mentioned, however, that you just, you're, you're leaving a job, you're exiting a job where you basically had to build it from ground up. Now I'm also in that same position where when I was with the federal government, I worked for an agency and I also built that program with five other people from the ground up. So I kind of understand how that works. What were some of your successes and what are your, some of your general gaps where you'd say, hey, like, you should be aware of this if you're walking into a program and maybe your advice of how to overcome some of those gaps. So, um, so I'm in a smaller county right now. So emergency management in smaller counties and rural, in rural states, are, it's totally different from being down south or being out on the far west where the California wildfires are, stuff like that. So here, I'd say as an emergency manager, sometimes I feel like you're the catch-all for everything emergency services. So one of the bigger, biggest things when I got here, they honestly were like, hey, we haven't had a radio system update since 83. And I was like, what, how, how does that work? Is that even possible? Yeah, so that was, that was one of my biggest challenges when I first got here was 
we have to get a new radio system put in for the responders. And I feel like on, on the emergency management side, that's one of the major keys is if our responders don't have any way to talk, I can't do my job to get what they need either. So that was one of the big successes was as, um, as of yesterday, we put in a brand new state of the line radio system that will be online for every vehicle and every first responder in the county by next week. So that, that I, I'd say that was one of the big successes. And then one of the other projects that we're working on right now is our local operations plans and Disaster Tough and uh, Doberman Consulting is the one that's helping us with that. So I'm all about, um, if I don't know how to do it, at least I can find somebody that can help me do it. So that that's a big thing for me right now is, is as I'm transitioning out is to make sure that the local operations plans are being updated and whoever the new emergency manager is sees what the process was and how we're doing it. And hopefully that'll be a smooth transition for them. Yeah, we were, um, you know, we were honored to, uh, to both, uh, have the opportunity to present to you and then to, to get this, uh, this review done for the emergency operations plan. Um, especially as knowing you're transitioning out of like, okay, like as you hand off the, uh, the reins to the next emergency manager. Now, something I have to deal with uh, from the private sector all the time is trying to convince people, um, again, the sales side of why you need external help. And the, the problem is I'm a former government guy. Like I get it and I know why, but as a private guy, obviously they're like, okay, you're obviously just trying to sell. And that's not really our motivation. So from a public facing side or from the public sector, what is your, why, what was your catalyst to saying, okay, like besides like I'm, I'm transitioning out of here to saying like, okay, I think it's time for us to use a Doberman emergency management or use somebody else in the, in the uh, private sector. Uh, my biggest catalyst for that was, is, Hey, I can't work a hundred percent on the local operations plans. I got to work on my threat assessments. I got to work on everything else. And then all the day-to-day operations that are going on. And then when you're a one man crew, and you don't have anybody else but maybe an intern. And I, have, I was fortunate enough to have two interns this year. Uh, that's all you got. And so you're, I'm teaching interns try to, have to better themselves for the career field. So when it comes to everything that's piling up on your desk with day-to-day operations and other things that are going on and other plans and meeting with stakeholders, sometimes you just don't have time to devote full 24 hours a day, pretty much to a local operation plan. And that's, that's why I decided to make the move to help with consulting. Yeah. I think, um, I think that comes along with, um, understanding the, the role of a consultant and it's important for the consultant to, I mean, that's kind of like a dirty word in our, in our company, to be honest, but it's, it is what it is. Um, like we want to be a value added. We don't want to be the thing. We want to be a part of the thing. And, um, like, uh, just one more tool in your toolbox. Exactly. Um, we hear, and, and you can address this. We both have kind of this funny uh, perspective because people who haven't been in leadership roles will say things like, why don't you just get more interns or why don't you just partner with another public, you know, cause how, how dare a consultant go in there because they're just for money. Um, even though like, Hey, by the way, um, been doing this forever and very good at it um like how how do you address those people who might say that who don't come from that leadership background 
Um, I would say you really have to sit in the the admin shoes when it comes to hiring somebody to do a private a private thing. So you look at it from the highest uh, to FEMA all the way down to the local levels, and you see that there's consultants there, and it's because they don't have enough time to do whatever that may be. Yes, they want to work 100% on it, but guess what? Your consultant, 95% of the time, was an emergency manager on the local or the federal level. And 95% of the time for my consultants that I've always used, they have been genuine people that actually want to care. They're, they're, they're not in it for the money. Of course, we all have to pay our bills. They're in it because they want to help. And so that that's what you really have to look at. You have to vet these companies, of course, and make sure that it's the right pick for you and the right pick for your agency. But that's the biggest thing is, is they're not in it for to make millions. I mean, if we are in this job to make millions, we're in the wrong business. Yeah, I should have gone in the tech industry. Um, yeah. You just said something so controversial there that people are like, oh, you can always just get more interns. Um, yeah, I don't want this to be like a, a pitch for Doberman. Um, people can look up Doberman if they really want to or whoever they want to work with. But that that that's basically, if you're looking for somebody value-added, that's part of the vetting process. If someone can be a value-added, if they're not going to give you cookie-cutter then they're probably uh, somebody to use while you work on the other things that you need to get done. Um, and that's kind of where we'd like to see ourselves as well as like, we, we try to build, you know, from that perspective, but in any case, building a program is tough, you know, um, working for another federal agency, we didn't have in-house uh, software engineers. So we hired a company that gave us Coop software, continuity of operation software, you know, that, that kind of stuff happens. And I think that's an administrative thing in terms of building your program, whether it was in your current role or moving into your new exciting role. Um, what are some benchmarks is some benchmark moments that you're like, okay, this is success for an emergency management organization besides, you know, the career high of coming on the disaster tough podcast. Yeah. Um, so one of the probably, successes that I would say benchmark goals was getting to the point where we had our new radio system put in here, at least, to be honest with you. I mean, it was one of those things where it was scary to think that I had first responders that couldn't call for help on the radio. They'd have to, mm-hmm. first responder calls me and says, hey, I had to call 911 last night because my radio didn't work to get out on a CPR and progress call. That That's scary. So for the benchmark for me was when we had we hit our new budget season and everything was approved and we got to move forward. So I think a lot of emergency managers will say that budget season is probably one of the most stressful times for them because they're trying to get everything that they need or what they think they'll need for the incoming disaster season. Um, Especially out here in the Midwest, tornado sirens is a big thing. So if you don't have tornado sirens and you can't warn people, what are you going to do? So one of the big things is we, we have tornado sirens in this county, but we don't have enough so one of the big things that we did is we went with a, a private company that does alerting and it's um, it's like iPaul stuff, stuff like that, that we can actually push out alerts and the weather service at the same time can push out an alert if they're not in that area where there's tornado sirens. So that would, that would probably be another one is just that the preparedness side of things that we can, we can make sure that people are safe. And you're, and you're really talking about, I mean, we were talking about consultants being support, but as an emergency manager, you're, you're supporting all the other functions of emergencies, mm-hmm. including communications for your first responders. Um, you know, every week we have this ad from L3 Harris on here that do radios. 
uh, we're a huge fan of what they do because not only do they have, again, not just uh, not just a fanboy over here or get paid by them, but like they they actually have like a really crazy capability where it's just like it's an indestructible radio or indestructible radio where it's like you can help out, but it's also now being able to talk to people's cell phones. It's yep. really great to be able to communicate with people who, when your budget doesn't allow you to buy all these radios and radios are expensive and charging them when you can have an instant commander with a radio who sends out a message to, uh, you know, someone with a cell phone, cause everybody has a cell phone and now all of a sudden you, you create better comms. So I'm like a big fan of them and that's the reason why we endorse them. And, um, we've been working with them for, I don't know, about a year and a half now. In fact, big plug to L3 Harris is that, um, they are donating 20 radios, um, for um, the medical USAR training, the urban search and rescue training that's happening uh, for a friend um, who's uh, doing that for uh, the national teams. And so, oh, wow. it, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like to work with organizations, again, this is kind of the public-private partnership conversation, but uh, going back to like your end, huge win to be able to go in there and say like, hey, to be able to, if, in fact, you did the assessment to even understand like, hey, you're not communicating that's step one. Every after action is talking about uh, comms. Um, like huge win for you to to do that. Um, you're gonna have to keep that that same methodology as you're moving forward into your other job of identifying gaps, budget constraints, all that kind of stuff. Um, what gets you excited about building programs the way you want to build programs? I would say what gets me excited is just saying. So I'm not from here. I'm from the South. I'm not from the Midwest area. So just to go in and see how a program's functioning and to see what truly happens on their day in and day out and how if I can better it or I can learn from what their experiences are too, right? So sometimes, you know, you, you get deployed somewhere that you're not where you're not from, like I am now. I'm in Nebraska and I'm moving over to Iowa. Uh, one of those things is, there's just total polar opposites from the South from the, coming from the South to out here to the Midwest. And it's just because of the different type of emergencies. And sometimes it's slower pace and sometimes it's not. So I think that would be one of the big things is I'm excited just to see how the different programs out here run and how I can better help them and they can better help me grow. That's awesome. Um, you, you, it sounds like you, you, you keep on, highlighting what we've been preaching so long on the show of a collaborative environment. The smartest guy in the room understands who the stakeholders are, understands what their roles are, wants to see that 30,000 foot level. We're going to be talking about that a little bit, or we talked about that a little bit uh, last couple episodes. And so I think uh, what you're talking about is uh, really strong stuff here. In terms of next steps for emergency managers, as they are looking to build uh, local programs right now, somebody's listening to the show like, I have no support. I was given this role. I was really excited. It's really hard. I'm doing budgeting. They like, might be shaking their head about the pros and cons that you're talking about. How can they find easy wins now to be able to gain support for the work that they want to do in the future? Trust your stakeholders. So, uh, one of my big things was, is like I said, came in here, new program, and the board was like, whoa, we don't need any of this stuff. But you, you go out and you talk to your police chiefs, you talk to your fire chiefs, you talk to your VOADs and say, where are our gaps and how can you help me make sure that the, this is secure? 
before our next big disaster comes. And if that means going to meetings with your stakeholders and having your boards come to the meeting, the board of supervisors, county commissioners, whatever it may be, have them come to that meeting and say, hey, look, this is where our gaps are. And we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to lose life. We don't want to lose property. We don't want to do any of that. So if you trust your stakeholders and have them go and support you 100%, that's when you're going to see change happen. It's not going to happen overnight with one person. It's got to be a, a group collaborative. It's got to have, you got to have your stakeholders in there to say, hey, this is what we need. And Andrew, John, XYZ, they are not kidding when they come and say, hey, we need these things. Yeah, I think that's establishing credit is a good thing. Um, I, you just mentioned it without really mentioning it. It's like you're allowing them to see how the sausage is made. And that is really telling. And so it's like, like you're thinking about this deeply. You're using analytics. It's not just like, oh, you know, something that like I kind of call out with people is that like when you go to, to, to your board and you say, hey, we had to make an all hazards plan. What they hear is that emergency manager thinks every hazard is a high priority. We don't think that. We, yeah. we, we know the county flood is going to be the most likely scenario. We have to deal with that. Um, but I think we could articulate that better to people like, hey, I think one way to do that is that sausage being made. Like, hey, here are our tiers. This is most likely with the highest impact, protecting life, property, and continuity of operations. Like, hey, having radios so people can talk is not a doomsday thought. It is a, hey, people should just be able to communicate. Um, and I think like sensible ideas to get people on board and allow them to see those wins um, is a huge call out for sure. So, <clears throat> sorry, this is a, this is a, we're going to be editing a lot of this episode between the coughs and the, and the phone calls, or we might not edit any of all because you know, that's how our, our MO is anyways. So, um, moving on to our last topic here, Andrew, um, obviously you come with a, a natural mindset of emergency management. You're thinking about this collaborative environment. You're now building, you've now either built or building multiple teams. You understand the roles of stakeholders and that, that kind of thing. And you've kind of had to, I've actually seen it personally with you go through the mud sometimes of people that you have to get on board who maybe traditionally don't understand. Um, in terms of the emergency manager of the future and how we can be, we can do better at, at moving our field. What would be your advice to the field? Uh, my advice to the field would be have the experience before you take the job. Have the experience before you say, yeah, I'll be that director or yeah, I'll be the coordinator or yeah, I'll be the emergency management specialist. Because if you don't have the experience in the role, then whoever your administration is, like your bosses and all that stuff, they're going to expect you to know everything and do everything. And if you're guessing at that, and then an experienced emergency manager comes in behind you to say, oh, that, that's wrong. We got to make sure this is right. That's when all the tension starts to play in is that if you don't have that experience, you got a lot of tension coming back, backlash, stuff like that. So make sure you have the experience and the knowledge. And I'm not saying you have to be the world's best emergency manager, but look at that 30,000 foot view and then go down and break it down into your levels. So Make sure you have the experience. Just because you have a degree in emergency management does not mean you're an emergency manager. Oh, man. Shots fired. It's like when I say just because you have your CEM doesn't mean I think you're a competent in emergency management. So 
uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a great call out, and that's kind of been a theme for a lot of emergency managers I've been talking to lately. It's like, don't be afraid to crawl, walk, run, and um, allowing yourself to build. A great emergency manager is a great coordinator. A great emergency manager is a great planner, strategic planning. So if you want to get to the running, uh, you should be able to interview or listen to other people or try to get some career advice and say, like, how do I get there? Um, and you just called it out. So uh, really good thoughts. Andrew, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm going to have you back on the show, maybe without so many interruptions from Holly and Speak and Spark. Yes. And also, like, just random things. So um yeah maybe we'll have you back on the show maybe six months after you're in the new role and say like hey how's it going what are your after actions and um kind of touch base there uh, that could be really great um so thank you again for coming on thank you so much for letting me be on yeah okay everybody um switching gears now to the audience if you liked this episode which you should have because andrew's talking about a, a lot of really good uh good topic talking points if i can say the word talking He's saying a lot of really good things that are helping you as you build your own programs, whether you're in a very established program or you're looking to build your program, working with stakeholders, uh, trying to find the wins, uh, recognizing that there are going to be gaps in competency with uh, maybe your administration and how to deal with that. And being a, a true support, hiring government emergency management, all those great things. Uh, I got the smile again from Andrew. So if you're, if you're looking at those things and you're, it makes you think a little bit more about emergency management, you got to do... Uh, a couple things. You got to give us a five-star rating and subscribe, which we say every single time. So please do that. Don't be a jerk. Also, if you have a question for Andrew, if, you, if you're trying to build a program and you're getting some pushback or you want to build a program, you want to crawl, walk around, you don't know how to do that, you can do it a couple different ways. Uh, the first and best way is to reach out to us on social media when we, when we promote this episode. And so you can say, hey, Andrew, I have a question about X. And so Andrew can respond or we can respond you can also have a, if you have a question that you want to ask the group, uh, you want to send it to us privately and we hand it over to Andrew or whoever, you can send us an email at info at dobermanemg.com. And of course, we'll see you next week.